Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Uh, you know, look, here's the deal. How to handle stress this season. I'm preaching this because I need it, all right? This, this text we're going to be looking at uh, really started for me about 15 years ago. Let's see, no, se- about 17 years ago. It was 0405. We were building, we had torn down all of our campus except the gym. We were building a new worship center, offices, uh, classrooms. I was finishing PhD classes, getting ready for orals and comps, which is something you do to get ready before your dissertation stage in my doctoral work. We had gone from two kids to three and we're about to have four. Um, The church was exploding in the best possible way. It was growing like crazy and the paper reached out and said, would you do a series of articles for us? And they gave me complete freedom, whatever you wanna talk about. So obviously I go to the Bible And what I really did uh, was, what do I need? What do I need to hear myself? And so I began to write a series of articles, and I think this was the first of the series, but um, the name of the first article actually matches the name of the first point I'll give you. And I stumbled on this little text. I knew these ladies. I I knew their story. I know their brother from from reading and studying the scripture. And I realized that um, I was a lot like one of them. And I found myself identifying with her. And so today I just want to think, you know, look, it's the most sacred time of the year, certainly this and coupled with Easter for Christians. This is a a holy time for us, but it's very easy to lose sight of it because we're running like crazy all the time, at least most of us. I wrote some questions, okay? In this season, do you focus more on the cranberry sauce and the Christmas trees or the King of Kings? Do you focus more on the moistness of the turkey or the maker of the turkey? Are you thinking about the freshly baked bread or the bread of life? Do you spend more time thinking on Santa Claus or the savior of the world? Are we spending more of our time in shopping malls or the house of God? Are we thinking more about gifts, the perfect gifts for family and friends or the greatest gift that's ever been given? Now, I'm not saying that those things, that Christmas trees and turkey and all that's bad. What I'm saying is where are our priorities? Because I think if we're honest, we would admit that some of us sometimes have a fruitcake focus. Now, if you don't know what that means, go back and listen to last week. And thank you for the many offers I received this week for you to make me your own fruitcake that's the greatest in the world. I just want to politely decline all of those offers right now but I do thank you for making them. And um, somebody did send me a picture of some cookies they make that they call fruitcake cookies. That was intriguing. Um, I'd probably be willing to at least look at that. And if I couldn't use it, it'd be great for target practice. So anyway, uh, no, I'm kidding. I really do, I really do want us to focus though. Because for some people, guys, this is not the most wonderful time of the year. For some people, this is a very sad season. For some, it's a very stressful season. For some, they're really not able to sort of put these things to the periphery and just look at Jesus. And all I want us to do is take the next little bit, sit at his feet, listen and learn and grow. Because if anybody needs this, I need it. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read Luke 10, picking up with verse 38 to the end there at 42. Now it happened as they went. So Jesus and his followers said he entered a certain village. The village there's Bethany. It's the home of Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. 
But he enters this village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. I mean, when you really think about it, Christmas is the season when Jesus is welcomed to the earth. And how would you respond if you knew Jesus were coming by for lunch today or dinner tonight? And so Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Y'all have heard that, right? If we were to write that as a praise song, it would be Martha, 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 Martha. Oh, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you knew I needed this years ago, and you know I need it now, and I don't guess I'm the only one that needs to hear. Sometimes it's good to sit and listen. Serving is is not a bad thing. You call us to serve. Very frequently you call us to serve. But Lord, also our service without our worship doesn't accomplish what we really need. And so help us to be focused in the next little bit, to apply this truth as we go from this place. And thank you, Lord, for the worship we've already experienced. May we continue to worship now with the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first article in the series of articles I wrote was titled this because I wanted to try to sort of catch people's attention if there were people out there in the world like me. And I think there are a lot of people like this. The first truth I want you to see is this. Busy isn't always better. Okay, that's pretty easy to remember, right? Busy isn't always better. Sometimes we get so busy we we can't hardly breathe. And I think busyness plagues a lot of us. It seems like we rarely unplug. I I do think it's important, and if you communicate with me, I hope by now you know, I try to communicate in return very quickly. And I teach our staff and try to regularly encourage them, quickness, your, your quickness is a sign of respect and care and love. Even if I have to say to you, I'll get back to you, I hope you know if you've reached out to me and I've not responded, it's because I didn't get it, period. It went to junk, it went somewhere else, but I just didn't get it. I try to reply quickly, but there's, there is an inherent problem in that. If I don't set my phone down, because church email to my phone pushes on the hour. So I have it set up a certain way, and then I have my calendar set up a certain way with, with certain meetings and then other calendars and then my home calendar, and, and Cindy puts things in on that particular calendar. And so I, I'm very careful about those things, but at the same time, I realize for me personally, if I don't unplug from some of that, It'll never stop. It will be incessant. And so that's not good, right? That's not healthy. And so I struggle with this concept sometimes, but I don't want you guys to stop and and think, all right, well, pastor said it's better to sit and do nothing than to get busy serving the Lord. No, it's not what I'm saying. I've had people tell me throughout my life in ministry, be careful there, pastor, you don't want to burn out. And my retort to that has always been, hey, man, I'd rather burn out than rust out any day. I'm not saying go slow. I don't want to slow down. I want to go. As God gives me strength, I want to move. I want things happening, but I don't want to do good things and miss the best thing. 
And so I'm, I'm basically saying when I look at this text, don't be distracted from the main thing. If we look at 38 and following again, as Jesus comes in, Martha welcomes him into the house. That's a good thing to be proactive and to welcome Jesus. But uh, she, she has this sister Mary, Mary's sitting there at Jesus' feet. She's listening, obviously he's doing some teaching. But it says Martha was distracted with much serving. Now let's slow down for a minute, let's think about this. She welcomes the Lord. Those intentions are honorable. She wants to give Jesus the very best when he comes to visit. Now, I'm sure she sat at his feet and worshiped before. She knows the word of God. I'll show you that in a few minutes. She knows what God's word says. She truly believes in Jesus. But I think like a lot of us with our Christmas trees and our nativity scenes and our angels and our carols, all of these intentions are honorable. And I think the fact that, remember, Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. The fact that she says, come to our house, Jesus. You can come here. You can spend time here. That is an honorable thing. That is a good thing. That is a refreshing thing for the Lord. But then after she welcomes him in, she gets busy doing these things. I bet she's probably cooking, cleaning, getting things ready over here. But Mary is sitting and soaking in the words of the Lord, listening. Because, you know, look, the Bible says that God is, is not often in the great fire. He's not often in the wind. He's not often in the earthquake. But God is often in the still, small voice. And the problem with being so busy and distracted is it's almost impossible to hear a still, small voice. I think this holiday season, the noise of the world's commercials is deafening. It's a little sketchy, guys. We were talking recently about vacuum cleaners in my house. I don't know if you've experienced this, but we were getting a gift for one of our, our kids and, and their future fiance, so I won't tell you who it is, but we were, we were looking at some things, and we're just talking about vacuum cleaners. Now, the next time you open up your phone, social media pops up, you might scroll a Facebook thing. Guess what's on there? They're listening. More than Jesus is listening at your house. I'm just going to tell you right now. Things, things are creepy. I bought a, a, a fire thing for our back porch several weeks ago. It was on sale at Academy. And it's one of these things, really cool. It's got the fire tube, and it's, it's, it's a cool-looking thing that puts out some heat. I had looked it up before I went over there to see if it was in stock and see what the price was. And I'm telling you guys, every day for the last two weeks, Academy Sports has sent me emails. Are you still interested? Still looking? I'm thinking, you dodo birds, I already bought the thing. It's on my back porch. But Academy, of course, is one of those sacred stores and I can't unsubscribe because like Bass Pro, it's a, it's a Jesus favorite. So you got to stay subscribed. Normally, I'd just unsubscribe. The thing is, though, that it, it's, it's a constant. We're inundated with this stuff. And we read in the Bible that Martha is cumbered about with serving. It's like she's stomping around the house, banging the dishes, pounding her fist in the dough, frowning every time she walks by Mary and sees her just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And the service trap happens to all of us. How do I know? You ask somebody about themselves. And almost inevitably, one of the first things they tell you as an identifier of themselves is what they do. You say, hey, tell me a little about yourself. Oh, well, I'm a fill in the blank. We almost always identify ourselves by what we do. In fact, I've written it like this. If you're taking notes today, we often attach our worth to our work. But that's not how God sees us, guys. 
our worth is attached to Jesus. I would even say our worth comes through our worship of Jesus, not our work. But Martha started working as a way to show Jesus she's sincere about her love for him. That's just not how it ended up. She had great intentions. But if you fall into the service trap like others, there is a way to come out of that trap. Chill out and sit at the feet of the Lord for a minute. Now, in in some ways, you're doing that because you're listening to the word of the Lord. But I love this word, this word here in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. That word is interesting to me. It could be translated cumbered, it could be translated worried, it could be translated burdened. It is a Greek word, like many Greek words, made up of multiple parts, like many English words. Um, So let me break the word apart for you. The word is perispeo, perispeo. Peri is to be like um, about or around. Not exactly targeted, but about or around. And speo means to draw out, like you could think of drawing a sword out of its sheath. So perispeo, to draw out around. If I were to describe it to you, the best visual I could give you would be Barney Fife trying to draw his gun from his holster. Do you remember when Barney would get nervous and he would try to go draw his weapon and he would reach, and now if the bullet were in the chamber, what did he invariably do? Bam, he'd shoot a hole through the floor, right? So what did Andy make him do? You got to keep, do y'all not know Andy Griffith? You better get right with the Lord in here. Where did Barney keep his bullet? Yeah, of course, in his pocket, because Andy knew he didn't know how to draw his weapon. And so when you think about that, that sort of discombobulated nature, that sort of scattered nature, that's Martha. Martha's not focused on the main thing. She's all around the main thing. She's going here and there, and she's trying to draw it out, but her focus is wrong. And the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we just let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I quote Philippians 4, 6, and 7 so often, and I've written it to many of you. When you've had prayer requests, I'll write that verse to you because I need to hear it too. Because really, folks, worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant. It's assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. I don't know who originally said this. I had quoted it in that news article years ago, but it's multiple sources are given. But I want you to get it down at least. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. That's a pretty good word there. You know, I once read that a dense fog that covers a seven city block area 100 feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water divided into 60,000 million drops. There's not much there, but it can cripple an entire city. Now guys, if you took your worry today, if we put all of our worry together, I guarantee you there's not much there that's effective for anything, but it can cripple us. Some of you are laying there at night thinking about all that you still have left to do, all the things you have to buy, all the places you have to go, all the food you have to prepare, and you are crippled in your worry. But what happens when we continue to let that gnaw away at us, when it says Martha was distracted with much serving, approach the Lord, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Therefore, now this is crazy, y'all. The Lord is in her house and she's bossing him around. If you're bossing around Jesus, he's not your Lord. You're trying to be his Lord. Lord, why don't you just tell her to help me? What's going on here? Well, the worry bleeds to anger, bitterness, frustration. You want me to say, I'm going to make it easy. You ready? Here it is. Being really busy often leads to being really bossy. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't you look at your spouse. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When you get all out of sorts, when you are like Fife, all discombobulated, the one she was seeking to honor in adoration is the one she's now ordering in anger. See, there's a double-edged sword she wielded in anger that day. She wanted to honor him by serving him, but now she's cutting him because she doesn't think her sister's doing her fair share. In fact, she doesn't even call her by name. Do you notice that? She said, my sister, why don't you just tell her to get up? That's what we do. We don't even call them by name when we get so mad. And sometimes, quite frankly, we just attempt to pass the book. Almost like, Lord, this is your fault. Quit teaching and tell her to get up. We do this in our own house. Sometimes when our kids have not done what we want them to do, I'll be like, Cindy, you need to talk to your children. You know what I mean? <laughs> or grandchildren now. You, you need to say something. And we do that, right? My own children, I really never, I'll be honest, I didn't experience this as an only child. You didn't, you didn't deal with this sibling stuff. And I know if you didn't know that already, you're shocked that I'm an only child. I would be one to share so much and so good at it. Right, Cindy? Don't say anything. But I, uh, I didn't experience it, but I've watched it as a father. Dad, make her do this. I did this. She should do that. Dad, he, he should be doing this. Now, I did this part. They should do that. There's this tit for that, tit for tat kind of concept. And so Martha's a grown woman here, but she's doing the same kind of thing. I mean, it's very easy to get so busy and bossy and stressing in your service that you do good, but you miss the best. And I'm sure many of you have heard that good is the enemy of great. I don't want to do good things for God, a bunch of good stuff, and miss the best stuff, miss the great part of being a child of God. You can be so obsessed and focused that you miss the main thing. Uh, this story's been out for many, many years. I read it years ago. There is some question to its veracity, but many sources have quoted it over the years. And so I share it with you if you've never heard it because it really spoke to me. The Taj Mahal is one of the most beautiful and costly tombs ever built. There's something very fascinating about the Taj Mahal. In 1629, when the favorite wife of Indian ruler Shah Jahan died, he ordered that a magnificent tomb be built as a memorial to her that would become the Taj. The Shah placed his wife's casket in the middle of the parcel of land, and construction of the temple literally began around it. But several years into the venture, the Shah's grief for his wife gave way to the passion for the project. And one day while surveying the site, he and his team rep reportedly stumbled over a wooden box. It was in the way, so they had the workers throw it out. It was months later before he realized that his wife's casket had been destroyed because it had gotten in the way of construction. The original purpose for the memorial became lost in the details and passion of the project. And the reality is, I think in the United States in 2020, it seems as though sometimes we're doing a lot of good stuff around Christmas, but we can miss the best if we're not really careful. 
We get so caught up in the details, so caught up in the stuff of the season, we miss the Savior of the season. And I'm sure there's somebody here that suffers from this busyness and stress and worry. But as I quoted last week, I've quoted so many times, when the Lord calls to us and says, come to me, come all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Do you take God at his word or not? Do you believe that he really will give you rest? Busy isn't always better. The second truth I want you to see is this. Work without worship is worthless. Work without worship is worthless. Why? I'm gonna go ahead and give you letter A. Because work without worship almost always leads to worry. I had to learn this lesson in my academic life. God really began to change my heart in my seminary days. In my master's work with Greek and Hebrew and pastoral ministry and then transitioning into my, my doctoral work, guys, I'm telling you, when I got that this paper, this reading, this project, this publishing, this article, this, that, all of these things, that could be an act of worship if I didn't let the worry overtake me. When I began to realize that, it made a huge difference. And before we become overly critical of Martha's approach to Jesus, we need to see that Martha is sincere and knows the word of the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles, and if they're opened up or if, you can, if they're digital, get over to John 11 with me real quick. John 11, I know you guys know this. You've seen this account. There was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany's a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. This is the town of Martha and Mary. We learn that it was Mary who anoints the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, so she's worshiping. But it's, when you look at John chapter 11, when you get to verse 20, it says, Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming into town, went out and met him, but Mary stayed in the house. So Martha's still serving. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know whatever you ask, God will give you. And Mary came where Jesus was. And again, we see Mary at his feet. She falls down. Lord, if you'd been here, my mother, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha being the practical one, Lord, no, 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 no. It's, it's been four days. There's a stench by now. But do you see, both of these ladies, Jesus interacts with them. Jesus is passionate about this family. Jesus weeps over the tomb of Lazarus, not because Lazarus is dead. He'll soon be alive again. He weeps because people really aren't getting it. They don't really understand that he's the resurrection and the life. But these ladies, both of them, both of them seem to know the Lord and seem to know his word and really trust him. But look what happens now. Let's go back. Let's go back to Luke 10. Look what happens here in 41 and 42. After she had lashed out to the Lord, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. So Martha's been upset with the Lord. Martha's been upset with her sister. The Lord has every right to correct her, but he actually very compassionately answers her. How do I know he's compassionate? Because when the Lord repeats a name twice, we find a pattern in the New Testament. We find that he's demonstrating a heart of care and compassion, a sympathetic heart. It's like Luke 13, 34. He looks at the holy city 
He looks over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Peter, before his denial, Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, Simon. Even Paul on the Damascus Road, when he had his name before he went by Paul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is the Lord in a compassionate way reaching out to recapture her heart and to reorient her priorities. You see, he says, Martha, you're distracted, you're stressed. Your priorities are out of whack. He says, you're troubled about many things. In other words, you're focused all around me, but not on me. And Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed. It's like last week I quoted Hebrews 12 in relation to Bartimaeus tossing aside his coat to go to Jesus. When you think about this great cloud of witnesses around us, and the Bible tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and then run with endurance the race. Jesus is not saying be lazy. Jesus is not saying stay on your backside all the time. Jesus wants us to run the race, but sometimes busyness and service can be the very thing that keeps us from focusing on Christ. So I would ask you, do you have some Christmas fluff to cut out of your Christmas flurry? Because we're all running around, but I think we establish our priorities by who is closest to us. The Lord, family, church, friends. And if something hurts our relationship, it should be set aside. Martha shouldn't have thought so highly of her food and so low of her fellowship. She shouldn't have thought so much about what she was serving Jesus as being with Jesus because work without worship is worthless. So Jesus offers her real wisdom in 42. One thing is needed. Mary's chosen the good part that will not be taken away. One thing is needed. Now, I almost hate to ask you this question because in asking you this question, I have to ask myself this question. Are you learning to distinguish between what you want and what you truly need? My wife is very good about reminding me of the difference between wants and needs. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, though, I had a, a, a kind of wonderful blessing. I'd been out shooting with one of our guys, and I realized that my shotgun wasn't exactly what I needed for that type of shooting. And, and I went home, I looked through my safe, and there's plenty to see there, but I didn't have anything quite right. And so I told Cindy, I said, honey, Truth is, I really need a new shotgun. And instead of saying, now, do you need it? That would have been the normal response. Are you sure you need it? I mean, you've got a lot of stuff in there. Um, she said, well, I haven't gotten you anything for Christmas. Go get what you want. And I said, yeah. And I did. I went down to, a couple of days later, and I got a new tool. And I went out a few days ago, and I tried it. Uh, in fact, about 125 shots that my shoulder's still crying out about with that new 12-gauge over and under. And it did the job much more effectively. I had a much better time because I needed it or something like that. The reality is it's easy to conflate and conflict between wants and needs. And the Lord says, in this case, there's one thing needed. I mean, he gets right down to the nitty gritty. He keeps it simple. What do you really need this Christmas? What will you remember? All the work you do, cooking, cleaning, buying, wrapping, is that going to last? Is it the love that is shared in the fellowship of loved ones and friends? Truth be told, most of us cannot remember what we got last Christmas. 
I mean, unless you got something huge and over the top, you probably can't remember. You certainly can't remember it all, but you remember that family time. And I don't know what your time looks like. You know, I don't know if you have kind of a Christmas vacation vibe and Cousin Eddie comes in and all this weird, so maybe you are Cousin Eddie, I don't know. But you, I don't know what your vibe is, but I, I know what I'm going to think about. I know what matters. Just like after church today, Miss Cindy's been cooking. I know we're going home and our whole family will be around the table. And I know what I'm going to remember. I know looking around, seeing the kids, the husband, future husband, the granddaughters, I know I know that's the stuff that makes more of a difference than the paper and packages and ribbons and bows. I know that that's what really matters because those are the things that last. Those are the legacy. That's where God has poured into us and lets us pour into the next generation. And the way you can know this, guys, is between the temporal things of life and the eternal things. I really do like that new shotgun, but the thing is, it won't last. It's temporary. In a sense, they're all temporary. What will, what will matter this time next year? What will matter in 10 years? What will matter in 100 years? What will matter in eternity? I only know of one thing that goes to heaven. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Of all the stuff out there, I only know of Jesus dying for one category... I only know of one category that goes to be with the Lord, and that is humankind, people. People matter. The people in our lives matter. Martha gets mad at her own sister, and Jesus says, uh-uh. Her relationship with me, soaking in what I have to say, is what matters here. He's not anti-service. Jesus is very pro-service. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is very pro-service. But he's also always in line with proper priorities. One day, Mary will not have the strength to create a commotion in the kitchen but she can always sit at the feet of Jesus and worship. So what will really matter when you sing and teach, play an instrument, when you cook? I'm going to argue that you can actually make those things matter for eternity, but the work has to be an act of worship. It has to be an act of worship. So let me draw a few conclusions. The moral of our time with Mary and Martha is not necessarily that Mary's right and Martha's wrong. In fact, it would be wrong for Mary to only sit at the feet of Jesus and never get up and serve. That would be wrong. But I believe many times we've wrongly contrasted these ladies and said, you either need to be a worker like Martha or a worshiper like Mary. No, 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 no. In fact, your last point on your notes, you don't have to choose to be a worker or a worshiper. What I want you to be this season and all year through is a worshipful worker. A worshipful worker. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I know what Miss Cindy's made for lunch today. It's one of my favorite things. I'm going to worship God around the dinner table real soon, y'all. I'm just telling you right now. We are going to worship around that table. But more importantly is that our family will be with us and we can keep Christ in the center. And how are you going to keep Christ in the center of your Christmas? Because could you imagine... Jesus is coming. And what if Jesus is coming to your house 
How do you respond to him? I want to close with this. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. By the way, busy isn't always better and work without worship is worthless. You got that? Pretty simple. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. I loved it. When I read it the first time, I was hooked and uh, I've kept it in my notes for years and years, but I've never shared it here. It's called, Twas the Night Before Jesus Came. Twas the night before Jesus came and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. The Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressed to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in a rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. And away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without sound, while all of the rest of us were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I'd waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is now drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. What if Jesus came today? Are you really ready? Are you ready? Now, theologically, there may be a few holes in the poem. In fact, I think at the rapture of the church, I do not think the lost will be aware until we're gone. I don't think they see and understand, but you're just going to have a whole lot of folks disappearing, a whole lot of planes falling to the ground, a whole lot of cars wrecking, a whole lot of craziness, and I'm not going to be left standing here, y'all. Like the great old gospel song, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And so I want you to be ready to meet your master, to meet your maker. And I know this is a season of get ready, get ready, get ready. We got to get this, do this, go here, be there. Are you ready for the most important? That's not the next Christmas party. That's not the next gift. That is eternity. Are you ready for it? Man, if you're not, I'd be stressed. I'd be scared and I'd be stressed, but you don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be scared. Major on the majors and there's a time to just be still and know that he is God. Honor and worship him by remembering his greatest gift to the world. And as I said Friday night and as I said Saturday night, what do you give to someone who already has everything? What do you give to the one who created the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns the hills, who created it all? What do you give to someone whose birthday is coming, but they're already king of kings and lord of lords? He only wants one thing. He wants you. 
He wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart, your life. He wants a relationship with you. You don't have to bring a bunch of stuff to Jesus. You bring yourself to Jesus. That's what he desires this Christmas. That's what he longs for. And you say, well, I'm already a Christian. So am I. But my tendency is to drift away. I can get so busy that I drift away. I can't be the only one. Surely I'm not the only guy that gets so busy I can lose sight of the main things. But when I slow down, when I breathe a little bit, when I spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in his truth, that's the best way I know how to handle stress this season. Stand with me. Invitation today is pretty simple. If you're a little stressed about something, I'm going to ask you to come and lay it before the Lord. Now, some of y'all are going to get stressed because you're going to think we're going to judge you for coming. You're right. We're going to judge you for coming. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to judge you for coming. Now, some of y'all get stressed because you think, I worry what they'll think about me. Well, you probably ought to leave that with the Lord. If you need to come and pray, there'll be some pastors up front. We're going to change this at the first of the year. I've talked to my guys. We're going to do a little something different. I'm going to have men and women in the front because sometimes we need, we need to give somebody a prayer request. We need to talk to somebody. So we're going to do a little something different at the invitation coming up. But for now, the altar is just going to be open. You can always talk to one of our guys or one of our counselors, male and female. But here's the deal. Maybe you're stressed. You need to lay it before the Lord. But I also said this in the first service. The next week or, or two will afford you opportunities to be around people you're not around a lot. You're going to be around some people maybe you don't even want to be around a lot. Maybe you do have that Christmas vacation vibe going on. But isn't this a great season to be the love and light of Jesus? To share in word and in deed why we as Christians celebrate. Some of y'all got some lost family you're going to be around. Somebody ought to get the Word of God on your phone or or a Bible, and you ought to read the Christmas story this year. Somebody ought to start a new tradition. I can promise you it's going to be read in my home. We read several times. I think we need to make sure when God gives us this opportunity, guys want to know, well, what are y'all doing? How are so many people getting saved and baptized there? What's your program? Our program is wherever you go, keep Jesus on your lips and let him shine through your life. That's our program. We don't need to come at a specific time and go to a specific place. As we are going, we are letting the love and light of Christ shine. So why don't you take these moments before we finish here and lay it before God and say, God, would you give me divine appointments with my family this week, my friends? Would you let me show and share Jesus with them? Would you open doors? Some of y'all aren't looking forward to being around some of these folks. You need to get over it. And you need to see it as an opportunity to show Jesus to them. Maybe that's your heart. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you need to lay something before the Lord today. Maybe you need to celebrate something. I don't know. But I know this is a holy place, a holy day. Before a holy God, we can come. So let's take just a few minutes. As Pastor Jeff leads, let me pray and you come. Thank you so much for watching us today. 
God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.